What's up, guys? Welcome to the first ever episode 79 of the Kind of Funny Games cast. As always, I'm Tim Geddes. I I didn't mean like the sound of it. I just meant the Uh, movement of it. He's like a figure skater. Yeah. Going down. I've been known to to skate in some figures. We are all doing it, Kevin. Guess what? We're going to have a fun show today. I saw a video of choreographed swimmers. And they were like doing dances, and they did uh, "Let It Go" from Frozen. Yeah. And there was some guy outside of the pool. They're, they're Japanese, of course, because they're the most creative motherfuckers in the entire goddamn world. Okay. They're out there. There's the one leader, and he's just going like this, and the people will jump out of the water like they're. Oh, ice. that's awesome! It was great. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. how can we do that? And I realized we can't do that. As always, I'm joined by <laughs> the coolest dudes in video games, Colin Moriarty and Greg Miller. And joining us today for the first time ever on this show at this table. We got Jared Petty. Uh, two things here. Yeah. Reverend. Thank you so much for welcoming me. First, a, an absolute honor to be here. I love what you guys do on the show. But second, I didn't realize we were actually recording. I thought oh, we were yeah. still doing sound checks oh, until no. right now. So that was kind of funny. Yeah. That's how we do things. Kevin okay. starts being Kevin and we're like, let's go. Yeah, I was just staring blankly like, <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. We're Kevin recording. Yeah, okay. we look, Kevin. <laughs> Give me this. Give me this. Pull out the, yeah. the scary part. All right. What's you got? This is what Kevin's doing right He's now. He's playing with a series. He's just blade. playing with this. I don't envy Kevin's job, but I also know that he could do it better. Where it's just like he sits over there producing the show, but he's always building something or opening is that what, a box. Is that what it's called? My favorite, is what it's called? Remember, producing? Do you remember? I'm gonna, Kevin, you're going to need some props from here in a second. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we were doing a show, we were having a great discussion, and he... All of a sudden, just out of the blue, jumped up, army crawled down there, went up into there, went back down, army crawled, and he brought those two metal things, which he proceeded to do nothing with. <laughs> They're still sitting over. there. They are still just sitting there, not constructed, not anchored to a wall. Oh, he just, but all of a sudden, he's just like, oh, I need those. <laughs> How can I be as distracting and annoying as possible during the show? That's what I, I like that he has kind of this, like, like Roz from Fraser Station over there. He's got, like, a little producer <laughs> mic kind of hanging he's down. Roz. And just look over there and just be like, hey, what Maybe do you I think, Roz? Just so you know, the whole reason I had to do that is it also it was be- like it was during a calling Greg live. So it was, it was during a-, a show, is what I said. Okay, a show, like a, a show. not important show that sucks. Then you should just walk in front of the camera. Well, no, I didn't want to. You're gonna tell me calling Greg live sucks, and this and this show doesn't suck. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you. Everything we do sucks. Yeah. Kevin, it's fine the way it is. That's why everyone likes us. That's empirically second, what I want you to do empirically no, What on. I want you to do is get second a bathrobe and that's and just cross in front of the camera whenever, whenever you need that. to cross I in front of the camera. Oh my god, yeah. yes. Speaking of producing, shout out to Patreon producer Steven Insler. As Steven Insler always, is a, ma- a he machine. Is the machine. Sometimes I worry that he, he dies. Steven <laughs> he, he pledged one month to be the Patreon producer, then and died, and his like, credit card just rolls over. Yeah. That's a real producer. Steven Insler is a real producer, Ooh. Kevin. What was your second thing? Uh, Nick called me. He said, I need to know right now if we have those, because I'm about to order more. What, those little and you were like, let me check, then pulled them out of the closet, crawled back with them. I'm like, I got him. I'm holding him. No, I took a picture of him and I said, are these it? Okay, well, first, are these it? Those don't fit together, right? Don't, don't like, even try. Don't go down this path with them. Okay. And then I, after good this. Good job, Kevin. All I'm going to say is good job. You there's another work. segue are going back to it? the page. Speaking of Patreon, Jared Petty. <laughs> yeah. You have a Patreon now. I do. I have a Patreon now. Th- I, yes, it, it unveils uh, this, this, this very week. Oh, my God. So at oh. the time you're listening to this, whether, wait, even Fear. if they're, even if they're, uh, early, even if they're all even Patreon if they're early, users, it's still it's still there. Yeah, okay. even if they're Patreon, it's already it live right now. It's a soft launch that's for actually specifically for this audience, uh, oh. and then uh, opening everything up on August the first. Um, so patreon.com slash Jared, Jared Petty. Petty. And yep, what is it? It's called Pockets Full of Soup. Uh, it's a little show about the stories that we tell every week. We're going to bring a different, interesting person on, like some of the people at this table and others that you might know. 
And all, all silliness aside, we're going to sit down and ask them about other people. This is a show where people talk about the human beings they're thankful for. The idea is to create a positive vibe. It's I, So I've got, I've got a couple of these in the can, and I thought, well, you know, this, this could be a fun thing, kind of a passion project, a, a sort of Bob Ross of the Internet. Hey, let's make this, you know, really, really nice, really heartfelt. Right? Yeah, well, not for painting, for, for nicest. He's always this happy little yeah, tree. Yeah, happy little and trees. I was worried it was going to come off a saccharine. Or, but the episodes that I have in the can right now, which are which are Brian Antano and, and Max Scoville. Never heard of them. They're, they're really touching. Uh, and funny and sweet, and I was like, "This came out way better than I thought it would." So, um, yeah, we d- we. Uh, hey, this isn't bad. Yeah, this is uh, this is something I do. Of course, my my day jobs at IGN.com. It's something I love doing. I make all kinds of neat things there. I'm privileged to work there. This is a, a passion project. It's not entertainment related. This is about the stories we have about our lives and the people that have influenced us, made us who we are, the people that have changed us, the people we're most grateful for, and also some fun little tidbits there in the middle. I. I you know, to make this happen, I really need people's help. So, um, patreon.com slash Jared Petty. And, uh, I really do hope, uh, folks will come check out. They can watch us on YouTube. They can find links to the site right there. They can, uh, you know, we're going to have some neat little reward type stuff to give out. Um, boy, I'm selling this well. No, they're great. Uh, but, you, I mean, know, you are. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. These people are familiar. <laughs> and if you're not familiar with Patreon, you can get all our content early. Patreon.com slash kind of funny games. And if not, you can just go to YouTube.com slash kind of funny games and get the show then. Whenever you want. Kevin, What's give me the gun in the bag. He's Take slowly it trying bag. to give it to yeah. me. Okay, Jesus thank you. Christ. The Superboy is out of the bag now. Everybody chill out. You have no games to play with it over there, Kevin, but the Superboy from Hyperkin has been oh, put out. Don't I have any games? No, that's a flask. You just That's not a real game either. You're just grabbing. You know that? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so there's a lot of segues going on now. Speaking of Nintendo. Yeah. Mm. We're going to talk about the NX. This is it. This is the NX. That That's is. the NX right there. Confirmed. Now, kind of. Before we get started, uh-huh. do we want to give a date and time of this recording? Because last time we tried to talk about NX nope. rumors, we got You're right. Up. I was just going to do that. So here's the thing. Right now, it is July 26th. Okay. As of today, we are talking about the, the, the Eurogamer rumors of the NX, which seem more legit than any previous NX rumors 100%. we've ever had. IGN.com did confirm with their secondary source. And so did Kotaku. Yeah, yeah. So we're getting a lot of like, all right, this is starting to be a real thing. Starting to feel okay, like, so what do we know? What do we know? What do we know? Eurogamer reports. Nintendo's upcoming NX will be a portable handheld console with detachable controllers. A number of sources are confirmed to Eurogamer. On the move, NX will function as a high-powered handheld console with its own display. So far, so normal. But here's the twist. We've heard the screen is bookended by two controller sections on either side, which can be attached or detached as required. Then, when you get home, the system can connect to your TV for gaming on the big screen. A base unit or dock station is used to connect the brain of the NX within the controller to display on your TV. NX will use game cartridges as its choice of physical media, multiple sources have also told us. Considering NX's basis as a handheld first and foremost, the choice may not come as too much of a surprise, although we have heard the suggestion that Nintendo recommends recommends a 32 gigabyte cartridge. Mm-hmm. So that's Blu-ray. We're talking 2550 gigs yeah. normally. So that's right yeah. in the ballpark. Right. Cartridge check has changed so much that optical media doesn't matter nearly as much as it used to there. It's so cheap now to make a cartridge that it's not a deterrent. Anymore. Yeah. So inside the NX, as stated above, the system will harness NVIDIA's powerful mobile processor Tegra. Graphical comparisons with current consoles are difficult due to the vastly different nature of the device. But once again, we've heard Nintendo is not chasing graphical parity. Quite the opposite. It's sacrificing power to ensure it can squeeze all of this technology into a handheld, something which also tallies earlier tallies with earlier reports. So it will be less powerful than the PS4. Kotaku backs a lot of this up, saying, unlike many previous NX rumors, this Eurogamer rumor has weight. Although Kotaku has not been able to confirm all the details, we've heard similar rumors and have been seen some secondhand Corroboration on specifics, including the, the NX's portability and use of cartridges. Finally, we've heard from one source that the NX 
planning has recently moved up a gear within Nintendo ahead of the console's unveiling, which is currently slated for September. After the confused PR fiasco, the Wii U launched the company's already settling on a simple marketing message for NX of being able to take your games with you on the go. Good news? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think this is I think this is good news, absolutely. This All sounds right. awesome. Yeah. 100%. Like, I mean, I feel like it, I was talking about it today on Calling Greg Live. If you go back and listen to the old games cast where we've talked about this before, this is always what I'm saying I thought it was going to be. I think I, I might have thought, I talk about beaming it to your TV all the time, and that's what it is. And that immediately is super exciting. You know, I, I love the Vita. I, I travel so much. The idea of sitting on a plane and playing the full-fledged Zelda colon the summer breeze of wind eve it's i can't wait i'm very excited for yeah that. well they're, they're breaking on that down that two-tier development wall i mean the, part of the problem that vita had early on was that it was very expensive to develop you know quote unquote triple a games for this handheld and the, there was a lot of kind of an identity crisis when you also had a high-powered console there's not going to be an competitor inside its own ecosystem right you're just going to target one platform they're going all in on something i do think it's it's a fascinating reversal of fortune to, to take you know the wii u which I like the Wii U in a lot of ways, but it, it's its software library never became what it needed to be. They, they, they fumbled the ball in many different ways. But the Wii U is fundamentally something where you have a more powerful unit sending something to a dummy. Now it's the other way around. You're The power's in your hands, and the dummy's what's connected to your TV. This is a recognition of a lot of different things. I think they're hoping this will play well in Japan, where, frankly, people play most of their games on handheld. Mobile there, yeah. I think uh, that, that they're recognizing the switch to mobile here. I think they, you know, they, they've, they've watched what's happened when they've started to kind of let some of their uh, some of their properties trickle out into the wild and some mobile experimentation with Mitomo and now we see what they're doing with the the Pokemon company and Niantic in uh, in Pokemon Go. Why not? This is this it's going to be it's going to come out of the software. Can they do will they have the support? Will they have the games that we want at launch and will they keep games coming for 3 years after that? I think that's the bigger question. And I think the the solution is there in the fact that if they're not making 3DS and Wii U games and they're just focusing on the NX games, I yeah, think lots that of games. Right. then all of a sudden there is a lot of games. Like the when you look at the 3DS output, the vast library over there, it's like it has, you know, every couple months there'd be something you look at the Wii U is a little less than that, maybe like twice a year there'd be something. But when you add those together right. and all those people working on games with one cause and even third parties when you look at the third parties that are making 3ds games um no one's really making wii u games but if you, they're suddenly making nintendo console games which is the nx that's a solid lineup and especially if it is unique games that are the, the nintendo games you know the people want nintendo games and nintendo consoles that's the only reason the wii u even sells what it does sell right mm -hmm. right so if there was one dedicated thing you always talk about nintendo being a toy yeah and this i think is Total, total, total recognition that they're not competing with the PS4 100%. and Xbox One in the console space. And this is a it's an approach that I didn't even really think was possible because this sounds too logical for Nintendo. I was so worried that when we, the, the hybrid I've said this before on the Gamescast that I don't like the idea of the hybrid like that. It, it bothers me because I always thought of it the other way around. I thought of it as, oh, it's going to be, it's a console, but then you can take it with you on the go, but that would be a dumbed down experience. It being the other way around, I am so sold on this, and this is this is what I want. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's smart. Um, I'm not going to go as far as Greg to say this is awesome or that. I don't think we know that. I think that this is the, I think the only thing we know is that this is, the, again, the most logical conclusion of what they can possibly do with their hardware, as opposed to just getting out entirely, which I still think is the smartest move for them. Um and I still, I, I don't care what the what the NX looks like. Uh, it's not going to do well enough for them to justify. I don't think them not getting out. But um, the NX to me sounds expensive, um, which is a uh, which is going to be a problem for them. Battery life is going to be a problem, probably. Yeah, that'd be a huge um, problem. And uh, yeah. but I do agree with with Jared in terms of the optical media argument. Um, the fact of the matter is, the last time Nintendo used cartridges the way we think about them, 
was N64, but really in reality, they've been using cartridges actually on their handhelds for a long time. And I think that's more like what you're going to see something in between what a 3DS uses and what a Vita uses. Um, that stuff's cheap, even on a 32 gigabyte level, um, that is way cheaper. So there's not going to be this, everyone's like, these games are going to be expensive. I'm like, no, they're not. Um, they're not going to be any more expensive than the games you play now. Uh, that's just not logic. That's just not sound at all. They're not going to, Nintendo's not going to come out and charge you $80 for a game. It's just not going to happen. So, um, I think it's smart. I'm excited about it. I'm interested in it. I, I think what's going to be important to Jared's point is uh, the games that are going to be ready. Clearly, Zelda is going to be a launch game. But what um, what else are they going to have? Uh, I still think a Metroid game is obvious. Uh, Retro has been quiet for a while. And mm-hmm. um, so I think that they're, they're going to have some interesting guns blazing and managing their portfolio. I think is going to be really important for this. Um, I do think this alienates third parties uh, again um, without being on par- without having parity with PS4 and Xbox One. People are going to have to make their experiences exclusive to this. Uh, I am sure that a lot of publishers are going to do something um, mm-hmm. and they're not going to see returns on it probably. And so they're going to stop. I mean, this is what happens. Vita. This is what happened with Vita. This is what happened with yeah. Wii U. This is what happened PSP. Uh, with yeah, PSP. This is what happened even to a degree with GameCube. And the only reason that they kept getting GameCube games is because they were paying for them, um, which is what they did with Wii U 2 to a degree with second party relationships, which is what I think is going to really be... Um, the possible saving grace of this of this thing. That said, uh, Nintendo's handhelds are what dominates, and so um, I think that this is this is a, a really exciting thing. I'm just really interested to see what is the infrastructure online infrastructure. How does that work? Is there a trophy and achievement system? Um, how does the store work? How does it function with Wii U and 3ds? Remember, this was supposed to be kind of a pillar, um, similar to the GBA, GameCube, DS kind of thing back in the day. Um, and I'm super interested as well to see um, how people react to it because everything I've been or not everything, but a lot of what I've been seeing is largely negative. So um, Nintendo is certainly working uh, against that negative uh, wave, although I don't really see what's there to be negative about because we don't. It sounds fun. It sounds nice. And we don't know enough to really be negative about it yet. So I think that that would be foolhardy to, 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 to jump down that lane. The negativity right now on day one, right? Because we're coming at this right as this news comes. I think is the fact that a lot of people had, were either didn't agree with me or argued against them being a toy company and marching their beat of their own drum. And da, da, da. I think a lot of people wanted them to come back. They wanted this to be the NX to be the system where Nintendo comes back and like, all right, no, we are games and we're competing with PlayStation, we're competing with Xbox, and we're going head to head and we're going to do this. And this right now is a clear definition that they aren't. And again, that's what's exciting about it for me. If it was just another, all right, cool. I mean, eventually I'd pick it up for Kart or for Mario or for Zelda, mm-hmm. all that. But the idea of, I mean, I love Vita. You know, I love my Vita. I love playing games on the go. But I, I do when I when I take the Vita with me, I'm like, man. It'd be awesome if there was a fallout on this. It would be awesome if there was this kind of game on this. And there's things that are close to it, but not. The Zelda I played at E3, if I can play that on a plane sitting there like that, fuck yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that is the most mind-blowing thing, is that that, we know that is going to happen. We don't know if this is correct, but going off of it, if this is correct, that means that that Zelda game is playable wherever you want portably. Then you can take it to your house or to anyone in a hotel or whatever, connect it and play it. That's crazy. So you many know? people, you know, with the Wii U, like this came up on a uh, Live today of some guys like, well, what's the difference between this and the Wii U gamepad? You could play games on that. And I was like, yeah. And I made a joke about like, being 14 inches from it or whatever, like being tethered to it. But it was true that people really enjoyed that feature of mm-hmm. oh, when yeah. people first got their Wii U's, they moved into the bedroom so they could sit there and watch TV with their wives or whatever and play games. Or, you know, you always saw like the super obsessed people playing on a plane where they had it plugged in on the Virgin America thing and then just playing the pad and they're like, and like to eliminate having to have that thing, having it plugged in, having to carry that Wii U console with you, mm-hmm. just having the tablet. If it, even if the tablet is as shitty as the Wii U tablet is, which I pray it isn't, that would <laughs> still be no cool. Way. There's no way it can be. That's, and that's the big thing that's, that's here's the real talk about, 
about really next talk about <laughs> Wii, about Wii U and why they have to learn a lot from 3DS or whatever. 3DS and Wii U are really shitty pieces of hardware. I mean, just from just from a build perspective, like 3DS is just a bad piece of hardware. Like we might like the games on it, and it might have sold you know exceptionally well, but compared to something that like is a real electronic, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but something like the Vita is like like really like shames it in terms of hardware build. What's what's your issue with like the new 3DS? What would be the, the new 3DS? I'm not so talking, but what but the, the, the all the clamshell models are flimsy. They're they're just they're just pieces of they're just they're not they need to do better than that. The Wii U is a, a bridge too far from even from there. Like the Wii U is the Wii U's uh, gamepad is fucking trash, and and they need to. They need to make something that, and I do think that they're going to have something that is sturdy and feels like an electronic device. It needs to feel like an Apple device or a Sony device or a Microsoft device. Something that's like that you feel like you're not going to break it in half or like something that like isn't this flimsy little piece of toy plastic, whatever. That's why I'm I'm concerned with 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 cost and how much this thing is mm-hmm. going to cost, because Nintendo has to hit that sweet spot. You would think the sweet spot's two ninety nine, but this thing sounds if, if everything's you know, it's going to have a nice battery in it. It's going to have to have a nice screen. It's going to have all sorts of, you know, uh, gyro in it, all sorts of Wi-Fi and all sorts of yeah. things. It's probably going to be like $400. So the, you know, if I don't think that's it, crazy, though. I think $400. I think, well, I, think for, I think for their target audience, it probably is. Yeah. And, I, I, and, I, and, and, that's, and that's a major concern for me. But they ha- see, this is the catch-22 that they're in now. They have to. Yeah. You can't have something that I don't care about the internal power of the machine so much as the build of the, of the, build of the machine. And again, you can learn a lot from... Um, just pretty much all of the major electronics that are out there in the in the wild about how to make a proper electronic. I mean, put put the Wii U gamepad or the 3DS next to an Apple phone or an iPad. You know, like, and I'm not comparing the two things, but like in terms of what their their functionality, but in terms of like their build, in terms of the fact that you feel like you're getting something that's valuable, that you're getting something that's not going to break, that you get something that like an adult would use. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like that. I feel like that is relevant to the audience, and clearly the Wii U was injured at least partially by the fact that the gamepad sucked and the. I think we're confusing maybe build quality and industrial design. I mean, I, I feel like you could run over my, my 3DS with a tank and a 2DS. I think you could fell a tree with if you attached it to it to a stick, even though it's ugly and horrible. The the industrial design, that it's not aesthetically beautiful. It is more toy like Greg talked about being a toy company. I, I take it a little farther. I think they want to be the Walt Disney Company. I think they want to be a character licensing theme park cartoon making. And oh, yeah, we also do video games company. Um, I, I think increasingly they'd like to be an entertainment conglomerate and that that's the direction they're headed. Toys are a huge part of that, but I think that's only the beginning of what they'd like to do. But I think that the, the, the quality of the products is fine. I, I, I don't have a, I don't think they're chintzy. Uh, I just think that they're designed to be kiddish. And I think this will look less kiddish. I think they learned the lesson on that. But I mean, you talk about an Apple product, it, it feels hefty in your hand, but if you drop one face down on the ground, it will break instantly. Uh, I think I could throw my 3ds on the concrete and I'm not sure it would shatter. And so I, I, I don't think it's a it's that factor so much as is it designed to appeal to a broad, large number of people? And I absolutely agree with you in the cost problem, because there are a lot of parts that are going to this thing that are going to cost a fortune. That battery scares the heck out of me. Yeah, mm-hmm. The battery is a big part of it. Uh, and that's, we, we, we know Vita. We love Vita here. Everybody here loves Vita. Vita's Vita's the best. Vita Vita's wonderful. Um, Correct. Call all right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> go to the Vita Island. But um, but Vita, you know, the the. The, the balance between power and cost for the Vita has been a problem since day one and remains one. Nintendo's original Wii debuted at a price point of $250. I think we forget how important that was to its huge, early success. Huge. Beyond the novelty, beyond the fact that, that it was doing neat little technical things you'd never seen before, it was significantly cheaper than its competitors when it was brand new. And that 
really helped that first push. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's and that's the that's the case I'm making. Like to get mom and dad comfortable buying you this machine, or for you as a gamer, an adult, being comfortable going out and buying that machine, you feel like you have to get your cost. Now, four hundred dollars is not going to be. You know, I'm going to buy one probably depending on what they show because I, I want to come back into the fold and start playing these games. But I actually think. Again, like the network features um, and ubiquity of the machine is going to be way more interesting to me than almost anything else about it. What? How much has Nintendo finally learned from a lot of mistakes that they made um, that the other two manufacturers that they apparently don't want to compete with <laughs> have learned and have embarrassed them with in terms of online infrastructure and all those kinds of things? And they have to learn from those things. So there has to be an achievement system, right? Yeah. Th- so that's one of the major things. And I know that, that that seems to be like weird to a lot of people, but it's exciting because I was talking to Greg about it, I think, on, on Connor Greg about if they went through their virtual console library and made that all available, obviously, on these NX, and I'm sure they're going to, and then just attach achievements to all of them. Mm-hmm. I'd probably spend $2,000 on that thing. Yeah. Like, I, I would they probably, they, they, I'd call, probably, they called it NEX Remix, but uh, yeah. it sold it as a product. But, but, like, but like, imagine just, like, imagine just a way, a reason to go, you know, Jim Sterling did a really interesting um, uh, piece, uh, you know, Jim Inquisition about emulation, which I thought was really interesting. And one of the things he was talking about, I didn't agree with a lot of his assertions, but one of the things he said that I think is interesting, nonetheless, is that... Nintendo just asks you to buy these things over and over and over again, but there's no real reason to buy them over and over and over again, other than the fact that you want to play them on the new machine. Um, so like to take the time to like put new accoutrements into these different games, these old games to give you a reason to buy them for some of us, like a, the fifth time. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. own some, I must own, I bought Mario brothers, the original <laughs> Mario brothers, like literally on NES, SNES and all these things, probably seven times on yeah. game boy advance and on all the, like, you know, so so having some sort of ubiquity finally like putting that all together this is what i'm really excited about the machine i think is probably going to be fine but like the price is going to be concerning but i i'm interested to see like how everything runs on it and what the what the system is um and in terms of how it interacts with wii u and 3ds but also how it interacts with the, the internet itself um i think is going to be really exciting and i and something in me tells me that they actually probably figured this out finally. really so yeah see, I, I, I would be shocked if there's any type <laughs> of trophy or achievement system i want that really oh my badly. god it would be so tone deaf um, but we, what you're talking about doing the going back to the virtual console oh, no, that, I don't that sounds I don't necessarily I can't imagine them. Ever I don't doing necessarily that. think they're really? doing that, but yeah. it's possible. But if they don't have if they don't have an achievement system on their new games, they are fucking tone deaf. I, I, no, yeah. you're missing the point on the virtual console team. Is it'll be double dipping. Hey, it'll be Super Mario World now. Whatever they call NX. No, I get it. I understand yeah. that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I just I don't think I can't see them doing that. I think Nintendo, at least so far, what they've done nothing to prove to me that they're not just about each game being its own specific world get nintendo games have had achievements for years they're just within the game yeah, yeah, yeah. right you know? but that's right. not the yeah. way the world works anymore and it certainly didn't work for them very well exactly but they do things differently which is why i just like i would love that i just like if they were to come out and be like i think it's this 50, nintendo 50, world i, 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 I think, would not say 50, i feel like they, i'd say I feel like we've 80, seen them change 20. stuff lately we've yeah, seen them we have we have which react. is why i give them 20 instead of zero <laughs> seriously though like I know. that like, all of that that still sounds a, a step beyond what i think nintendo is capable of in terms of you know, giving the people what they want. Um, beyond that, they're very though, good at telling us what we want, as opposed to giving us what we want. Exactly, <laughs> and then that's that's what they do. Um, the other side of it, though, I'm more interested in uh, less the the system features and stuff like that, but more the the physical, the hardware of it. Of all right, so if this is all true, what does that look like for multiplayer games? Then, oh, so you break the controllers if, off the side. But like, what does that look like? The, they're talking about the hub thing. Is there a, a way to do we each bring our own NX? And play I with bet. that, or do they? Is there like is the pro controller still going to be um, compatible with it? I which I assume too. it is. Yeah. And then from there, it's just like that is what I'm most concerned about. But I also think that they are going to nail. 
Um, I hope that uh, they make it so that it's, it's easy and fun to play Smash Bros or Mario Kart with multiple people. If you only one person needs this system, yeah. if you have the system controllers, because right now the worst thing is having to every time we play a Wii U game for a Let's Play, depending on the game it is, syncing and figuring out which controllers we need and all this. Yeah, yeah. If they figure out a way to just it's there, it's set up and you just need to bring it and play it. I think that's going to go such a long. I mean, high. can you imagine like all the trips we just took and all the trips we're about to take? If we and we would we would start booking seats next to each other every time and putting it up there and then breaking the controls off and we're playing Smash the entire. That'd be cool. Together. And so that then is the Wi-Fi interferes with the plane. We crash the plane. I'm most interested <laughs> in being able to be on a plane and put the thing screen up and not use its controller, but to yeah. use a real controller on that screen. Another possibility is that they could go legacy. They know that they sold a lot more Wii's than they sold with use. I mean, the fact is it could be Wii Remote compatible. It could also, I think, significantly, especially for Japan, be 3DS compatible for controller i mean you know yeah you may not be able to play the games on the 3ds but you got a 3ds bam it's a smash brother style dummy controller yep. and you can play along with your friends they've got such a huge install base compared to the wii u on 3ds that mm-hmm. i think that's another thing that might make sense for them yeah just grab your 3ds it works with that kids can play and then you go over to your friend's house they have this awesome new nx like i want it too you know there, there's christmas yeah. i mean why not do it that way yeah and i think that with the nes classic having the the same wiimote proprietary connector thing i think that and the new nes controller also using that yeah. I think it, it, it they, shows that that's where they're going. They understand the protocols. And I'm remembered correctly, like, that you can control Smash Brothers on Wii U with that. With 3DS, a 3DS, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, why not just extend that to the whole platform and make that another solution? You've got 10 times the, the uh, or five times the uh, 3DS controllers out there that you have uh, Wii U controllers. So why not make that compatible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. The one thing that concerns me for it is when it's coming out. Um, doesn't March. make it a lot of sense. But I, it seems March? like they want, yeah, it's a bad time. I, I would try to get the, I would try to get the console out in the fall. Um, and we talked about this on the last on the last show, I think, too. Like it just just feel like they're missing a lot of like easy holiday sales and all those kinds of things. But I guess the ma- it's, just, it's not going to be ready, and you you don't want to hold it for another eight months or whatever. Yeah. This could be, be the dying holiday. light of consoles. It could be the dying come light. out and like <laughs> capture a whole bunch of stuff, not compete with uh, uh, Xbox Slim. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and I think you know, the headlines things have changed in the industry where now like March is no longer just empty, but sure. still, I think that if Nintendo were to come out with Zelda and potentially a Mario or a Metroid or this or that, like that's that's exciting. You know, I think that it, that is enough for them to do stuff. Whether or whereas if it was in November. I do think that they would sell more, but I think then it would just kind of fall off a cliff right after that. Yeah, like, I mean, it's it just has for- that nice like. It could set them up for a two-wave software rollout, too. I mean, you, obviously, they're spending a lot of time on launch titles. Hopefully, there's going to be just a rush of amazing things that you want to play. And then, you know, you time it so that your second wave comes around November and you get that big Christmas boost. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that's a bad strategy at all. Yeah, we'll see how it all works out. The one thing, so I'm optimistic about it, um, you know, vaguely optimistic about it. Um, and I'm excited. I'm interested to see what they have to say. They're going to announce it, it looks like, in September, which is what I said last week. Because I think that that makes a lot of sense. That gives them six months in between the launch of the console and when, when they announce, which I think is a nice idea. Um, the one thing that I will never believe is that anyone's going to be interested in it until, until it's uh, selling like literally until it's, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how promising it seems. Uh, I, I still stand by the fact that Nintendo has lost a significant amount of, of clout um, with core gamers that buy consoles. And I'd be interested to see um, if I'm wrong, you know, because all the evidence says I'm right. And uh, Pokemon Go and some 3DS flash in the pan titles is not going to change my opinion that like Nintendo has lost a lot of steam with people that are going to sustain them in this particular market. So, um, so regards to how I, I, I want to see, I need to see, um, in the words of Whitney Houston, show me the receipts. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yeah, this, this news makes me so happy because it with the Nintendo forever. And this is with a lot of things that I like. It's more about, all right, when's the bad news coming? And so far it hasn't happened yet. So I'm really excited. September is 
months away, pretty much a month and a couple weeks. So I'm really excited to, that we're finally going to actually see it so soon. Um, talking about launch titles, like I'm surprised you think Metroid's going to be there just because like I feel like Mario would make more sense. We know there's Zelda. I so, don't. I don't. Yeah. I, that's why I don't think. I think because of Zelda, I don't think Mario makes any sense to to go alongside it. I don't think you want to get too crazy with it. Metroid's not as popular as we think, as we talked about many times. So I think putting something like a B tier title, which is Metroid, would be next to Zelda. Um, I think would be way smarter than having Mario. I think Mario, to Jared's point, would be a fall game. Um, that that holiday push game or whatever. Because again, we haven't had a 3D Mario in a long time, like mm-hmm. a truly 3D Mario. So um, since Galaxy Two, I guess. So so um, you know, we use conspicuously missing its Mario game because I'm sure it was moved a long time ago to NX. So um, yeah, so I think that I, I really do think Metroid is going to be a launch game. I think that that would be a smart, savvy move. I think that's why they're taking it on the chin with this Federation Force game in a way and kind of mm-hmm. just rolling it out and not really dealing too much with the criticisms of it, which I think are mostly stupid criticisms anyway. <laughs> and um, like, like you can't have like another game in the Metroid universe that doesn't have anything to do with Metroid. No, so, just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, by the way, what, what about 3D Land? You didn't, you didn't like the 3D Land? No, but that's he's not a real, about, like, a, that's a not a 3D yeah, that's not a 3D games. Mario game. It's a 3D Mario oh, game. It's don't don't get on. started with Colin. I agree. No, 3D World not. It's called Super Mario 3D World. It's not a 3D game. It's not a 3D Mario game like Galaxy or N64. It's the 2D platformers, the 3D obstacle based platformers like 3D Land and World and then there's the the collectathon we remember the best-selling handheld of all time was also a third pillar so therefore must be good right there, there yeah we go. so I'm, I'm i really do think a lot of the pessimism around this is is unfounded well the bad news come i'm sure but there there will there will be there will be i think further leaks i think the thing leaks completely before it's announced 100 um but and they'll use the vita strategy of putting the bad news out like right in mid-february Oh, God. Just really take out its <laughs> proprietary memory cards. God fucking damn it! That's the, thing, no. button. That's the other thing is obviously it's gonna have it's gonna have its own hard drive or whatever, which would be nice too. So if this just, thing just upping the cost a little has bit. those freaking baby buttons that the Vita or 3DS has, I'm gonna be so pissed. Maybe you should just it get shouldn't. on board with the buttons that no. everybody uses now. No. Tim. What, what buttons? Thumbs aren't that much bigger than mine. I want normal. Let me see your thumb. Normal people. No, what's normal people at buttons? Like, uh, the Wii U gamepad has normal people buttons. The, okay. Place PSP has normal people buttons. All right, you want like the, those big red Give me a console button. Give me like, like a, a PS4 DualShock 4 buttons. I like That's all I want. Button. I do enjoy. If this button. is a real console, this should be a fucking real console, not no bullshit. Well, Nintendo, game, Nintendo games do rely traditionally more on face buttons, so I think that they're going to obviously be more. Can we know. also give a shout out to the fact that it's not just some touchscreen thing? I mean, maybe it will be. On I'm sure. Screen, the, I'm like, sure the screen will be touched. But that's fine. But I'm saying there's tactile buttons on this. Oh, my oh, my yeah, concern yeah, yeah. was we were gonna get fucking an oval. Where uh, all the but- remember like all the things yeah, we saw where they yeah. had like the GameCube like drop down yeah. hooks or whatever. And it was like there's real buttons on. Rumored. Thank God. Shout yeah, out to real buttons. Like, it wouldn't be great if we're all just completely wrong about the whole thing and they're like it's so we we're have competing this long, with long discussion and it's all just completely different. Like uh, uh, way more a million teraflops. Strange alien box that you control with your brain. Like it's my dream is still that the NX is a digital platform that goes on ps4 and xbox one but that's never gonna happen that'd be amazing all right guys topic two of the day sonic the hedgehog so here's the thing last <laughs> week greg yeah. you and i yeah we celebrated sonic's 25th birthday we went to the party. with the hedgehog himself we did we said what up we did he came out with hell kitty yes that was weird awkward, very awkward he was blind and the guy had to like lead him and he didn't know what was going on they're like let's take a selfie and sonic and just hello stood kitty there came out of out, frame and hello kitty's all posing and sonic is just there <laughs> so that was fun real, so That's you guys a, were at the party we that, went yeah. to the party so i want to say this real quick that that might have been the worst thing i've ever seen in my life so and, 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 at san diego comic-con there was a 25th sonic anniversary party 
And Jim Sterling put up a, a, a sizzle reel of it, which is one of the funniest things mm-hmm. I've ever seen. It is, a lot of problems. It is so good. It is mm-hmm. so fitting of Sega and Sonic that that was the way that that thing was streamed. I heard it was way better in person. So so yeah. that's that's the deal. So here's yeah. the whole but thing the with this. The live stream was so is, funny. And today, actually, uh, the guy, that the producer of the stream, the, like, that planned the whole thing, went on this whole tw- Twitter rant where he was like super upset. He's like, man, I worked so hard on all this. We came in and they fucked me technically. They changed all these plans. There's all hmm. these audio problems and whatever. We're trying our best. We During the stream, we had to make calls of, do we show it at all with the buzz or totally just not do it yeah i was like the, the, i'd how, rather at least how get the trailers is there. that though to exist at, at this yet again at this nexus of brilliance and ineptitude like, yeah. like where those two things meet and not to have a balance between just to be two simultaneous diametrically opposed realities the living embodiment of paradox nothing is more sega yeah i know oh I my thought, god and that is that is so <laughs> accurate though i mean that's what this was because from the stream because i was while we were waiting in line for it i was looking at the stream and this stream was atrocious. Twitter was like, on it fire was such a joke. But what the stream didn't show was the audience and the people in that room. And that's the funny thing about Sonic in general. Yeah. Sonic has such a ravenous fan base of people that for some reason absolutely love certain, about them. certain parts of the the legacy, right? Yeah. There's the adventure fans. There's the OG fans. There's the comic fans. There's the, the old animated, animated Are there fans show of that fans. show? I don't think there's any. Oh, no, no, no. People like Sonic Boom, the show. Okay. All right. People, people hate like the, the games. I was talking about the old Roger Sonic Craig show. There aren't any God. fans of that, are there? Oh, well, there was like three Sonic animated series back, yeah, right. in, the back in the day. Underground, which people kind of liked. Right. There was the quirky animated one that was kind of Looney Tunes-esque. Yeah. That, that was, was that the one whatever. Uh, no. The one with Urkel was the um, Sonic uh, Saturday morning cartoon one. It was called Sonic Sat M. That was awesome. Fucking awesome. Um, I put that up there with the greats of the Saturday morning cartoons. I didn't know you were a Sonic cartoon fan. I oh, no absolutely. Oh, that's Sonic was Saturday one. He was super. It was you, right? That was super offended when I was like, "Why does Sonic like chili dogs?" Yes. And you're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah, that, that, that I don't really remember that at all. That show was the chili dog show. Because um, they were serving chili dogs. Yeah, uh, yeah. Doesn't love a delicious chili dog. So that's the thing. As a love letter to those fans, yeah. the people, not the internet haters, not the yeah, people yeah. that talk shit about Sonic all the time and whatever, not the people with, with taste, um, <laughs> but those fans, it was the best love letter ever. The, they were the, flipping out at every oh announcement. My God, that place yeah. was insane. They're like, do you know this thing? And I'm like, what? And they're like, ah! like, you know, like our character's name and like random people are coming out in the cosplay costume. They're losing their mind. I'm like. I don't know what that. It was he collects rings. <laughs> I was really <laughs> impressed by the the they had Q and A sessions and they were asking the questions that the audience actually wanted to hear. Okay. They didn't shy away from stuff. They asked, "Is there going to be a Sonic Adventure three? Yeah. The answer was no, but, but they, asked. they asked, which usually they'll shy away from that shit. And I was like, "That's cool," you know. They brought out um, all the bands that have done the music for the games, which was so awkward because it was like an hour long of like all the theme songs from like Song Adventure 1 and 2 and Heroes and then it just progressively got more and more like did they bring oh out like god. the guys that did like like uh, dreams gone by like to, like the yeah. goodbye my school days guys and yeah, all that? Dude, oh my no, god! They brought by everybody and like That's they amazing. they had the, the the modern Sonic people playing the like, classic Sonic stuff. It was just like as a a love letter to them. It was great and being in the room like you could feel the energy of the people loving it. But even then, it, it was really fucking weird. It was weird to see people singing along to like all the the words to like the Escape from the City song from Sonic Adventure Two. And I'm like, oh my god, it's, it's kind this of, is real. 
life right it now. It kind of sounds like a bizarro you. world definition of like a or, or version of a Firefly convention. Like uh, sure. it's uh, I've been at it's you know early screenings for films like that, and you're surrounded by super fans. And when you're in it, it's the best. When you're yeah. there, it's the best. And anybody else looking in from the outside, maybe that's maybe that's wisdom for us. Like, well, like for, was, yeah, for ahead. me, it was like everybody's losing their mind on Twitter. Like, holy shit, this Sonic Mania game looks awesome. It's a, I'm like, oh great, and we got in there. Like, do you want to play it? I was like, yeah, and I went and played it. I was like, just felt like. But like Green Hill Zone again. Like I don't, I don't. It was longer, and like uh, there was a different boss in the end. It seemed like there's some other places to go. But all right, well, so maybe, like maybe that's Sonic. the thing. Maybe for you, it's like it felt like through Green Hill Zone again, and for them, it was like it felt like Green Hill Zone again. Yeah. Like I, I mean, liked, I like, yeah, I, yeah. I was a Sega kid. I like Sonic One. I like right. Sonic Two, and it's just like I was playing through. I'm just like I don't, I don't see what's what's so crazy about this. All right, so here's the thing, Greg. Thank you. Lay it on me. Here, give Sonic, me the thing. I love the original trilogy. Absolutely, Sonic CD as well. Those games. Awesome. They range in quality. I think one is it's the same thing as we see in modern day games where it's just like the first one sure. figuring it out. Sure. Two and three, though. Great games. Um, seeing this, this is my Mega Man nine or ten. Like, I can't believe they actually are doing this the way they are. It's they're going back to the Genesis style. They fucked up with Sonic episode four. Sonic the Hedgehog 4, episode 1 and 2, mm-hmm. where that was them trying to do the retro thing, yeah. but then they just made it play, like, yeah, the the stupid-ass homing moves and shit that he has in the modern Sonic game, so they ruined that, but this is like, no, this is just classic Sonic, more of it, and it's being made by, what's the dude's name, um, Christian Whitehead, which is awesome, because this is a dude that, back in the day, was working on the Sonic 2 HD fan remix thing that was... Super yeah. legit. Then got hired by Sega to do the um, all the ports, all the recent like HD games, and there's the iOS ports of Sonic One, Two, and Three, and mm-hmm. uh, the Xbox and PS3 versions where they went up, and they're like superior games. He's the one that did them. He did the physics. He did everything, and he made Sonic feel more Sonic than he used to feel. Well, that's that, that's that's the key right there. Feeling more Sonic than he used to feel. You mentioned Mega Man Nine or Ten. Mega Man Nine or Ten work not just because they have they they have the adornments of an old Mega Man game, but because and I think it's Jeremy Parrish that originally said this. Uh, they take what made Mega Man work and then inform that design with twenty five years of game development that's happened six since. And infuse that learning in without losing the spirit of what was originally there. They create something that feels like the original, yet is also absolutely no new and tremendously inventive. But it's so well orchestrated, you don't even really realize that until you're done. You're just having tons and tons of fun. And you get to the end, you realize there was way more there than syrupy nostalgia. There was beautiful game design and excellent weapon balance. The question for these products is the question of what's happening here is, are they going to give us what Greg said earlier? This just feels like more Green Hill Zone. Or are they going to give us something that's so well designed that it's doing new things without those new things feeling invasive of the space and the aesthetic. And that's going to be what this lives or dies on, I really think. So I think that for me, when it comes to Sonic, there is a, I, I am a Sonic fan, I would say, overall, even though the more games... There's more games I dislike than games I like. The original trilogy, love those. As we go ahead, I don't like the adventure games at <laughs> uh-huh. all. And I know that they're beloved by many, but I think that they're pretty trash. No, that's wisdom on your part. Um, then <laughs> then going going forward from there, Sonic Colors was a great step in the right direction. Of This is fun. This is mm-hmm. good. And then Generations nailed it. Generations was a game, nailed it in terms of it's a solid 7.8 to 8.5 range game of like, this is fun. I enjoyed for, playing this. For more numbers, go to IGN. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love that. And then they kind of like totally fucked it up with Sonic Lost World and really badly with Sonic Boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I've, I've always wanted is just more of the original trilogy. And this game 
seems to be speaking directly to the me's out there where it's like, all right, not only is it going to be more of what you love in terms of like the, the green hill zone. Yeah. It's green hill zone again, because that's all we want is we just want the same fucking thing again, you know? And that's the problem is no one's ever going to be happy because then when they get that, they're like, Oh, it's just the same thing. But this game to me seems like it's solving that in that half of it is going to be, we don't know the exact percentage breakdown, yeah. but I'd assume half of it is going to be remixed versions of levels from Sonic one, two, three and CD and knuckles. And the other half is going to be all new stuff in the trailer and in the gameplay that we got to, to check out. Uh, one was green Hill zone and one is this new zone called like Hollywood zone or something mm-hmm. like that. And that to me is the, Oh my God, they're nailing the aesthetic of it. They are nailing the tone and feel of what Sonic is supposed to be. And also giving me the remixes of the things that I remember and the, the reasons to be nostalgic. So I think that it's that nice kind of blend of the past and what we want a Sonic game to be in 2016. See, I think Sonic is, is a story of, of, radically inventive but unfulfilled potential i think sonic one and two are very interesting video games they were especially interesting at the time because they were technological marvels they they were show pieces for the kinds of things you could accomplish on the genesis with so much programming. speed so beautiful yeah exactly the, the, the sound was interesting the z80 never sounded better as a sound processor than it sounded in sonic the hedgehog uh that it was beautiful it was fast it was lovely it was exploratory but there were a lot of flaws you had all this area to explore and no real incentive to do it uh, it, it's not like well, that's were, where Sonic 3 came in. Yeah, that Sonic 3 was better at that. But at the same time, then it lost some of the it was not so good at pathing. So you had exploratory areas, but then you didn't have great pathing and you lost some of that sense of momentum that made the first two games work better. It's I, I feel like they were always dancing around creating a really great game and never quite got there. I think CD's the closest they ever came. That's going to be controversial yeah, definitely. Uh, with the audience. Um, but I, I feel like CD, they actually got it because they tried so many inventive things. But there's a it's a series of good, interesting games with a lot of flaws that you feel like you are right on the edge of doing something really special. That's how I feel about them. I realize a lot of our fan base is going to feel differently here, but I think that this gives them an opportunity. They've got a lot of time. They've got the right people on it from what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. This gives them an opportunity to look at it, step back away and say, let's just take everything that worked, get rid of everything that didn't. And fill it with new ideas that don't feel like gimmicks. And you, I think that's all Sonic needs to become a wonderful, like, unique platforming experience. I don't Absolutely. know. Maybe that, maybe not. What do you guys think? I don't know. I think, the, I think the Mega Man 9 and 10 thing is kind of apt in a way, but also dangerous because Mega Man 9 and 10 are, and I'm not saying this is a Mega Man fan. I think a lot of retro game fans agree. These are truly special games. Like, these are extra, especially 9 is an extraordinary game. Now, I disagree with Jeremy in a se- about what he says about Mega Man 9 and 10 in the sense that I really do believe that, and I've said this before, if you remove one and put two, three, four, five, uh, six, nine, and 10 in a bag and told someone that never played these games, find the two that were made in the 21st century, they wouldn't be able to find it. And probably they'd pick five and six. So, um, you know, I think that they would definitely pick six because I don't even know how that runs on an NES, but, um, you know, <laughs> Smoke comes now, out there are, now there are subtle design things I'm not going to talk about in those games that do that do out them as being more modern games, but no one cares at this table except for Jared and, and I, and I'm, I'm not going to go <laughs> and I'm not going to go into all of that, but when um, Wiley's like, I can't believe Obama's was present. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, well, like the shop function, there's like a lot of like, there's a lot of things that the NES wouldn't even be able to do on in those games. But the, but the, the thing is, is that. Those games were really actually those games set the the bar along with very few other games that went back and um, really used the design set showed a lot of restraint in the way that they were made. Yeah. They used the Mega Man two design set, which is something that I actually fundamentally disagreed with. But it like I wish that they went to Mega Man three specifically because that's when they introduced the slide and they introduced Rush. 
Um, Rush is obviously in Mega Man 9 and 10. So th- there's a little bit of a hybrid there. But um, these games are expertly made. Like those games are really just as good and in some ways better than the original mm-hmm. six Mega Man games. This Sonic thing sounds like a half of a step because like they're using some old stuff and, and, and milking people's nostalgia. But to to Jared's point, and I know I've, I've belabored this point to begin with, so I'm not and I'm not trying to be mean like Sonic isn't Mega Man like like and, yeah. and like 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 from a gameplay perspective, like it's just not. And so like the things that made Sega or made Sonic special, like it's speed, it's blast processing and and all that kind of stuff, or whatever. That was like the hallmark <laughs> of the series. And, and it had less to do with gameplay and more to do with technical dynamics, which is why I don't think that no matter what they do, they're going to stra- scratch someone's nostalgic itch or whatever, but it's not Mario. It's not Mega Man. It's not like these hallmarks of gameplay. And so I don't know that the comparison's apt in that way because what any creates did with Mega Man 9 and 10 was actually phenomenally fucking indistinguishable from the original because it felt like Mega Man and Mega Man always felt so good. And I agree with, and I agree with what Jared says is that when I played Sonic as a kid, I didn't have the fucking outrageous hatred I have for it now. <laughs> and, I, and I would play those games with my friends and I'm like, this game's like my honest opinion is an eight, nine, 10 year olds. Like these games are clunky and they don't feel that good. And I don't get it. And I think that there's a lot more of us out there than the people that really truly, truly love Sonic. And so See, I, mean, I disagree with that one. If you're talking about specifically two and especially three plus knuckles, when you put that together, that game, uh, you're going to find more people that love that game than dislike that game. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, if, I don't I don't know that I agree. Like, I just I don't think that's why Sonic's that's why Sonic's lack of renaissance has been just kind of subtly just been taken on the chin for so long, because there's just there's not this massive, like rabid, crazy fan base that really cares about those games as much as they care about the characters. Now, people obviously care about those games and they buy them. But what I'm saying is that the, the, the zeitgeist of Sonic has more to do with the characters and less to do with the way the games felt, because if we want to have games that felt like Sonic one, two and three. Then why? Like, like, as opposed to having games that kind of chart their own course, which is why I think this might be a mistake for them, which is why I'm way more interested in Sonic Team's game that's coming out in the fall of 2017. So that yeah. looks like a sequel to Generation. So this is why this the announcements made, again, as a Sonic fan, these are the two games that I want. I mm-hmm. want the OG trilogy, um, not even so much sequel as much as it's just like more. It is the Mega Man 9, 10. Just, here's more of what you want what you think you want. This is that. And then Generations is, that is the the best Sonic game in... Generations? In Generations. Ah. And that was awesome. And to see that this might be the sequel to that, uh, which is going to be interesting based yeah. on what that game was. Because what that game was was just a remix of old levels and stuff, but in different play styles. That was the, the modern style and classic style, but even classic wasn't actually classic. Yeah, both of these run into a, a, pro, a metatextual problem, and I think we have to talk about this here while we're t- you know, The problem with Sonic games is we're very rarely allowed to talk about them just as games. Sonic games are so intrinsically tied to that Sega history of breaking people's hearts and occasionally doing wonderful things that... The Sonic you, cycle. Yeah, so the Sonic cycle. I mean, honestly, yes. I mean, there have been, no matter how big a fan of Sonic you are, I think there's a good chance you'd admit that there have been far more mediocre to bad Sonic games oh, than there have been. close. And, and it, it, that it's a, a series of getting excited about something, getting ready for it, getting disappointed, and then trying to decide whether to come back again. Which, by the way, is kind of the Sega arc story through their hardware, their their software development, everything. That's what Sega does. Um and Sega does when Nintendo. Yeah, yeah which which is it sure it, does. It hurts you in an entirely different way. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Salt Sega's, the earth so you'll uh, never come back. And, and I want to be clear, Sega's done so many wonderful things. And sometimes like they are so good at turning 
crap into gold. I mean, the, 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 you think about the Saturn, which was just an abomination. That's what drove hardware. me away. That's what broke my heart and but drove me away. But they had so many good games on it. And despite that, and just like, why? Why did you do this to me? It's <sighs> overpriced. It's not well supported. It's, but but there's a dozen things on here that I just can't play anywhere else. And they're all so good. And, you know, I on and on without getting on a, a long rant. I think that this discussion becomes problematic for people because... The people listening, the people talking about this in the web right now, us here, this is never just about Sonic, the game identity. This is about, you know, at this point, 25 years of history in corporate politics and advertising and marketing and broken dreams and uh, flashes of brilliance. We, at this point, Sonic can barely live up to that legacy, even if it's a splendid game. Um, And I think that that keeps the deck stacked against it. So I hope we can encourage people when these games come out just to look and say, hey, let me look at this at two levels. Does it make me happy? Like, am I enjoying what's going on here? And is this a well put together game that's worth worth buying? If you can answer those two questions honestly with yes, then Sega's done a really good thing. And if you can't, then try to extricate yourself from the history and just look at it that way and be like, well, that didn't work out or yeah, it did. I don't know. That was that too preachy. No, I think I think it makes sense because I agree with what you're saying in the sense that and we've had we've belabored this point again so much, but. Like, people did get their old Sonic with Sonic Hedgehog 4. You no, know? no, no, like, no, 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 they didn't. No, no, that's the problem. They didn't. I mean, the, I mean, I, trailers, played it. I mean, I played it and it, I mean, there was like some new thing. I mean, I didn't play the whole thing, but I remember messing around with it. And I'm like this. I don't really feel like how this is that much different than the but old I mean, Sonic that's games. like you. That's like getting a Mega Man game. That's like saying Mighty Number no. nine is giving you another Mega Man where it's like to me, I don't know too much of the difference. I don't know how Mega Man's supposed to feel to know when it feels wrong. Sonic mm-hmm. 4, that did not feel like Sonic should feel. That felt like Sonic felt in in adventure if it was brought into a 2D world. It, way more floaty, not in a controlled way. And just like the this game is going to feel like the other ones didn't. I think that's the biggest issue with this is that um, the trailers and everything for Sonic 4, I was so excited for that because they're going back and it's number four. But we got Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5 with that one. Where that was, it was bad. The level design <laughs> sucked. They didn't tell the levels didn't tell a story. That's the best thing about Sonic Three that I think is so overlooked is that every single level segues into the next level. the there, The story that that game tells is so impressive that there's no voice acting, there's no talking, there's no uh, text boxes even. It's just animation. They tell so much through animation, and every level, whether it's the ice zone or the um, the sanctuaries or the 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 floating um, islands and stuff. Every single thing tells a story. He jumps off of this onto a plane, which brings him down to the thing. He snowboards down the mountain, goes through into the caves and all that stuff. And we didn't see that with other platforming games. Mario World, every level is just a separate level. This told a story through animation that I thought was really unique and interesting. Sonic 4 was just, here's a level, here's a level. I mean, I respect that, but, you know, Mario was good. Like, really, really fun. You know, like, and and I I just... Three is... I just, I, I just don't, I just, oh, because I remember sitting, I, I and this is where, where like, I mean, a lot of people, are, you and I, and I, but I mean, a lot of people out there are going to disagree with me. I remember sitting, playing these games, sitting Indian style in my friend Mike's Mike's room, because that's where his Genesis was, they had an NES, they, had, they actually had a Master System, and this is how I got exposed to a lot of this shit early on, we were playing Afterburner on Master System and shit like that. Yeah, just like, were. And this have. is like where I was like, I don't care about your NES and NES, I have that. I want to play, I want to play Fantasy Star, I want to play, yeah. Golden Axe. I want to play like Shinobi and all this shit. And I remember play, sitting there and playing Sonic, and I'm like, "What the fuck? Well, you know, Sonic, like, why, like, what, like, why does everyone love this? All of these other games on this console are better that you have." I'm actually <laughs> glad you mentioned uh, fan, or uh, pardon me, uh, Golden Axe and Shinobi because that's a part of this I don't hear talked about very much. 
Sega at that point in their history was a transitioning arcade company. I mean, no, no, they had done consoles in Japan unsuccessfully for, you know, almost a decade at this, at the point that Sonic came along, but they'd never really had all that much. Uh, uh, they didn't do that well in the Japanese market against their competitors, but they were a king of the arcade company on the bleeding edge of technology. Sonic is a first extremely well visually and auditorily polished attempt to convert arcade design philosophy to console and platforming type games where you have to be able to go back and play it again and again and again and not get tired of it. And they made some neat strides in that. I think that's why the levels are so big and there's why there's so many paths through them, but still where it's, it's a one button interface with a very simple, easy to nail down thing and, and a very linear progression. It's an experiment at trying to create, trying to transition from one legacy to another. And because it's so artfully technical and because it's so aspirational, I think that's captivating for a group of people. It did not grab me in the day like it did a lot of folks, but I was impressed by by what they were pulling off technically. And I was impressed by, wow, they are trying something kind of different that doesn't feel like anything else. I don't know if I like it, but it sure is neat. What I don't know if they've ever done. I, Sonic 3, I have a different take on the time. I agree with the points you made, but I never really enjoyed it. I feel like that's what they have to do is get that sense of aspiration to, to all click together. And if they do that, they'll have a, a fine game here. And that's what you were talking about, Mega Man, and the difference. I think that's the difference is that Mega Man was built from the ground up to be a console game. Sonic is kind of a kind of a transformation from one design philosophy to another. And because of that, it has these beautiful, distinctive feelings, but not all of them are good. Well, I think to the point, too, I think Sega's just not done Sonic any favors. You know, like it just it just won't go away. And that's and that's. That's a big problem. Since we're talking about Mega Man and Rockman, like, I don't know what the fuck Capcom's done to this guy. Like, I, I don't know, like, what they've done. They canceled all of his games and, like, got rid of him. But the, but in the back of my mind, at least, I'm like, you're doing something, aren't you? You're fucking up to something over there with him. I know you are. I don't know what it is. We haven't had a Mega Man game in years, you know? And I, But I know you're up to something. And it's probably not going to be very good, right? <laughs> but we have all of this evidence that it can be good. Yeah. And and that's where the scales are different. Where like actually the overwhelming game Mega Man games are actually great. There's there's like there's actually like even if you like Legends or X or even you know Battle Network yeah. and like Star Force, like the, actually all of those series have good games in them. They were all done too much. Mm -hmm. And so that was the problem. And so they disappeared. I feel like Sega actually stacked the deck against Sonic in a way, no matter how good the game is, to Jared's point, because they just won't go away. They just won't stop. It's like there's a new Sonic game like all the fucking time. And like to me, it's it's like just. And so, yeah, it seems like they, they're going to get it here. But I, I have no faith that they're going to get it because because, again, to Jared's point, like an overwhelming number of Sonic games are no better than mediocre. And a lot of them are really bad. And so it's like, why do you why are you doing this to him? Like, no matter how I feel about Sega or Sonic and, I, and, and it's pretty well known how I feel about Sonic. The fact is, is that as an icon, he's very important and he deserves better than this and i would rather sega just disappear with this character for fucking a decade and not and and just like let other things speak like the other things spoke to a lot of people on genesis and that's the kind of the sad thing about it is that like and that's why i always think about the genesis era specifically like the the, the contemporaries of sonic the Hedgehog. i'm like these games are all better like you, i just i don't i don't I, have I you ever have you, any of you guys ever played sega gaga before no you familiar with this yes no. Okay. I'm familiar with the yeah, yeah, familiar. Okay, so Sega Gaga is this game that was made at the end of the Dreamcast era in Japan, never came to the States. It's an RPG, traditional, you know, wander around, random encounters type RPG 
that set in a fictional future where an evil Nintendo-like video game corporation has taken over almost the entire game space and Sega is fighting for its life and in a last act of desperation hires two Japanese children to run their company and reverse their fortunes. The game is a absolutely brilliant, hilarious, and completely self-parodying look at Sega at the end of the Dreamcast era when they're in terrible trouble, just going, oh man, we screwed up, we know it, we're sorry, we're going to try to make this better. It's also the celebration of everything they ever did right, along with this very candid, ridiculously candid self-examination of a lot of the things they've done wrong. And it works so well. You're wandering around like the corporation beating up random programmers and encounters to like motivate them and get them to do their stuff. And and you run into all these like washed up Sega characters hanging around the headquarters that are all part of this history. Sega Gaga reminds me of the fact that this is a company that has struggled for an identity like six different times. I mean, right now, what is Sega? It's a Sammy owned pachinko company. That also happens to have Atlas under its belt. I know, which so makes you really you know, scared for yeah, Atlas. Yeah, I know. So, and before that, it was it was this transitional, hey, we're going to just make software. Oops, wow, we screwed that up. We made a lot of crap. Oh, we're making some kind of good stuff now, but have we lost to, you know, we made colors, we made generations, but we made a Bioware RPG. Uh, but but have we have we lost our idea? And before that, it was we make hardware. And before that, it was the Kalinske era. We make American hardware. And they've just been so many different things in such a short period of time. That does not lead to good stewardship of a character. Nintendo, for all they drive us crazy, have been pretty consistent with the way they treat Mario or Link or Kirby or Samus oh, or their Kirby. valuable characters. That, oh, Hoshino Kirby. I love Kirby. Um, because of what's happened outside, they have not been good stewards of Sonic. Um, maybe this is a signal they're going to try again, but I have a feeling that until we're going to have to get two good Sonic games in a row. No, that's Before not going to help. Discussion stops. It's it's over. The discussion's never going to stop. Really? Like, that, that's, so? We got two good ones in a row. Good ones, col- colors and generations. Yeah, I guess we got right. those, and then they went right back to yeah. other stuff. Sonic Colors is that the one that came out on PS2? That was uh, Wii. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah, colors is colors what is neat. The one on PS2? Colors is neat. So yeah, it, like that, it's doomed completely. But like right here, here's our two, here's our two good ones. Like I guarantee I these are going to be good. I yeah. guarantee that. Tim's at least. guarantee everybody with the the, the Project Sonic 2017 one is the I. I want the caveat on that. Uh, if it is the Generations 2 that I think it is, it's going to be at least good. I'm a little bit worried they're going to add the Sonic Boom Sonic into it as well. So it'll be classic modern and boom, in which case... Do, does anybody they, want that? No, they, they don't. Can't. No one does. Yeah, but uh, who wants that? I think I think that uh, what I'm I'm interested... This is the thing is that there are a few there are very few companies in the in the industry that I don't trust with anything and they're one of them. So <laughs> so that's why that's why when... Uh, and that's it goes to your point. I mean, you read... Uh, and people should read a great... There's so much interesting shit about Sega out there that people read. Console Wars is paramount amongst those things. You should absolutely read uh, Blake Harris's, uh, Console, Blake Wars. Harris's Console Wars because it's a fucking fantastic book about Genesis and Nintendo. Uh, yeah. Basically, SNES and Genesis and how... Um, you know, I've recommended this book many times, but it's one of them. It is up there with Masters of Doom and all these other books I talk about all the time. You must read it. It's a neat book. Um, I agree. But uh, and uh, Blake Harris, personal friend of mine, so you know that should be out there as well. But I'm I'm not shilling his book for him. I actually really love that book. That's how I met him actually. Um, so, uh, but when to your point, like to, to end it all, it's like when Sega got Atlas, I was like, no, no, don't like, fuck this I, up. I, I, I would have rather I would have rather Atlas. There's part of me that would rather Atlas go out of fucking business than have Sega publish those games because well, I know inevitably they are going to fuck that up. And when I saw Persona Five box art have a Sega logo on it, yeah, I was like, oh 
Dear God, no. <laughs> the concern is you that know, you never know how long Sega's going to be around. Sega could close tomorrow, and you wouldn't be surprised. They, uh, you, you, when you hear about Sega, it's always they're laying all these people off. They're launching a new Sonic game. It's like That's the terrifying <laughs> fact of them taking something awesome like Atlas. Is My concern is, yeah, there's going to be a story tomorrow that Sega's filed for bankruptcy. And what the fuck happens there? They're closing this down. But then there's weird shit to this point. Like Creative Assembly is making Halo Wars 2, which is probably going to be fantastic. And Creative Assembly is yeah. owned by Sega. So there's all this... There's all this weird shit going on with them, man, but I don't trust them at all. I don't trust them at all. And I, and I, and I, so like, I don't have any faith in anything they do because like, where's the proof? They just fuck so much shit up every once in a while. They broken clocks right twice a day, as I said last week. Yeah. Uh, And I I believe you, you coined that turn of phrase. Yeah, I I believe you did. I did. I believe you did. If I, if I win the lottery, I'm going to go into perpetuity. Uh, I'm going to purchase Atlas and treasure and just protect them forever. Just put them into a public trust and get Quintet's Quintet's library too. Oh, that's good. All right. That works. Uh, You're looking at your watch. I was like, Oh my, we're probably, probably. Oh yeah. Well, we should probably move on to the third topic (laughs) of the day, day. which is monster hunter. So here's the deal, Jared. I don't know much about monster hunter. I know it's a big deal. I know in Japan it's gigantic. I know everyone plays it. I have absolutely no idea about this game. I did uh, one time I had to help someone at IGN review it. So I like captured the video for them. So I saw a bit of the gameplay. It's never grabbed my attention too much. What? Pitch it to me. Explain it to me. What? Don't make that what are you wanting me, Greg? Well, it never grabbed your attention. Mm-mm. Fun co-op play. Cooking your own meat. Got all these cats that cook for you. Yeah, you have cats, more cats. Yeah. Mm. yeah, you have cats. Do you play, Greg? I used to. Like Back in the day, IGN reviewed everything, Okay, which meant that games were dumped on your desk, and they said, review this. And okay. it, didn't, it didn't matter if you knew nothing about it. So yeah, for the I did, what, two or three PSP Monster Hunters back in the day? Oh, no, a bunch of PSP. Did you ever do the original PS2 one? Or no, did, okay, no, no, so no. no, no I just did the portable ones. Tried to get into four when it came to Wii with Charles, and it didn't work. Did you develop the claw? Did you get the claw down? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 the claw, claw, how to play MIP, of course I did, that was like the first thing, I remember when Alicia from Capcom came over, and she sat down with her imported uh, Monster Hunter to run me through a demo, and she had like a million things, and that was how, yeah, here's how you play, and this is how you run it, and this is what you do, and you drop, drop your paintball on him, and do this, and run it over there, I, I enjoyed it. But I ne- it, it was one of those things that once it wasn't my job, I didn't want to play anymore. Yeah, Monster Hunter, uh, first off, is is a wonderful game. Second is a hand deformation simulator up oh, until yeah. now. Yeah, because to play it on PSP, you had to hold, to get the camera controls right, you had to hold your hand in this kind of, this absurd position where you were trying to reach the, the face buttons and at the same time reach over here on the shoulder. And it, it was just, the PSP button layout did not fit Monster Hunter well, but they put it on there anyway. I was living in Japan when Monster Hunter was was reaching its zenith. When it when Monster Hunter Mania sees Japan, let, let's talk about this first. Okay, um, I am not a Monster Hunter expert. I am a Monster Hunter player. I enjoy the game. I there are people out there. This is a game with with depths of deepness beyond the depths of deepness. There's just layers and layers and layers and layers of Monster Hunter. This is like if you've met people who only play WoW that only play Destiny, whatever. This is that where you 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 just have these people who have invested hundreds upon thousands of yeah, hours. Yeah, there's 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 the 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 kind of mechanical depth that you find in the best fighting games exponentially cubed like yep. that's what's going on in the monster hunter game but it doesn't look like it when you're watching you, you figure that as you're playing but in japan this was as big as any video game has ever gotten anywhere this was you know dare i say at the level of super mario brothers mania in 85 big in japan this is wow. dragon quest in japan big and this monster hunter is universally recognized by the population i would get on a train and you always knew the monster hunter players people carried psps there all the time when i lived there um but you would always know the monster hunter players would be in little clusters of four sitting on the train side by side all of them doing this holding their psps you go to mcdonald's 
four person tables, four people playing. And the whole restaurant would just be groups of four people all sitting down on PSP playing 400 monster hunter hunts together yep. on like ad hoc Wi-Fi. Ad it hoc was, play. yeah, it was amazing. So what's the appeal of this game? Well, one is the depth the, and the fact that, that, that it's, it's kind of an obtuse game, not quite to the degree that dark souls is, um, but it takes a while to learn your way around. And there's a lot going on. Like Nuance. you said, yeah, let's talk about the things going on. You mentioned cooking meat. Yeah. yeah. You got you can't just go out and you're going to starve to death, but you can't just cook the meat. You also got to keep the stamina, but you're not just controlling the stamina. You're also controlling the length of the stamina bar. So one, you can't run out of stamina in combat or running around, but also you have to keep eating to keep the bar refreshing or even potential, like sort of like refilling the number of heart containers you have all the time while managing your health, while managing your weapons, which constantly get more dull. So you have to sharpen them. So there's this incredible number of things you're watching. And oh yeah, by the way, things are trying to kill you and you're gathering assets all the time it looks when you watch it like the most boring thing you can fathom but it's the it's so involved there's something to it It, it, i mean if you're trying to explain to somebody who's never played a monster hunter why it works it's that it has even if it's obtuse even if you can't understand it at a glance it has all the hooks you want in a video game where you are feeling more powerful you are leveling up you're getting your ass kicked in one fight but then you've learned something about that monster so the next time you go there's that you know god the satisfaction of going back to the job board turning it in getting another one rolling back out yep upgrading the equipment getting that slightly better because this is a game of inches the victory and defeat line for you against most monsters especially the first time you beat them is usually a hair it is tension some of these hunts can go on for 30 40 minutes you're chasing this immense piece the monsters are there's jillions of them and they're all unique and when i say unique they don't look unique or have a unique roar they are nuanced and have tells it's not like there's going to be a flash when the monster's going to do something it's sort of like mike tyson's punch out multiplied by 20 Every tell is extremely subtle and reveals the monster might do one or two. And you're watching for just the perfect, perfect moment to try this. But then it's going to be a different tell immediately. And every monster has different patterns and different characteristics. And they're not stupid. If they're getting beat up, they'll just run away and find their lair and go rest. <laughs> yep. Or they'll call their friends and other things. Will get, and you, <laughs> it's just, it treats you with, it's again, much like Dark Souls, it treats you with so much intelligence. It's like, oh, you're a smart guy. You're going to figure this out. Yeah. And when you figure it out, I'm going to reward you with something compelling. I'm going to give you something else really neat. Monster Hunter players will play the same Monster Hunter for hundreds and hundreds of hours. And that, yeah. And like, that was the thing for me. Yeah, a great, my example with Monster Hunter, right? And like when I got it, when I reviewed it in terms of it, I didn't fall in love with it, but I like the hooks were there, the mechanics were there. And then what worked for me when I really appreciated, I think in retrospect was when I got Peace Walker. Oh. And it was like you talked to Kojima about it and how much he took from that. I mean, not to mention that there are Monster Hunter levels in Peace Walker. Yeah. But I mean, the fact of, yep, go and replay these missions over and over and over and over and over again. Fight the same monsters. In, in the, don't get me wrong. I think Peace Walker is a dumbed down Monster Hunter in terms of what you're doing at enemy level and stuff like that. That makes sense. But it's there in terms of like, oh, right. This is what I was doing in Monster Hunter that I was getting friends together, going out on these missions. We were taking these things out. We were starting to feel more and more badass and getting better and better and then coming back and kicking this thing to shit you know what i mean they're getting drunk at the bar yeah i love that you brought up peace walker because it peace walker is is uh you know an example of one of about six jillion japanese games in that period of time that decided they need four player simultaneous multiplayer yeah because monster hunter did it and everyone aped it i mean there 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 were accusations floating around that dragon quest 9 had four player parties uh because of monster hunter i think that's a bit of a stretch honestly i would have been very upset if they did that yeah uh but yeah (laughs) but um monster hunter is we tell let's talk about that multiplayer element i don't 
play a tremendous number of non-couch multiplayer games. Mm-hmm. I, I really prefer to play with people in the room. It's because I'm old and senile. Um, and uh, But Monster Hunter is a delightful online experience because it is purely beautifully cooperative in a way that, that that very few games are. Everyone's doing their role and yet doing their own thing at the same time. There's not one way for each person to play the fight. It's not like tank guys always yep. going to do the same no, I'm thing. I'm not the healer class. I'm yeah. not this. No, I'm I'm doing I have a lot of options and at any second in the fight I'm going to do something completely different and useful and my teammates even if we've worked together a lot are not necessarily going to be able to predict the best thing I can do and likewise they're going to surprise me at moments when I think all is lost. Hmm. This guy's going to come through and save us. At moments when everybody else is on the ground, I've got a chance to leap on the monster's back and be a hero. And Generations, which is the new one, I think is the most accessible monster hunter there is. It's First, the controls work wonderfully, especially with the new 3DS, because you don't have to worry about using the touchscreen anymore. You've got to, or you use it, but because Monster Hunter has, Lord, does Monster Hunter have buttons? <laughs> <laughs> Monster Hunter has, it's not just one panel where you're using fake buttons. You actually program, you, you customize multiple lower screen panels. Oh my that God. you switch between while you're playing. So what, uh, are the, what do all the buttons do? Oh my gosh, there's buttons for everything. There's buttons for map <laughs> controls and locking on and slower maps and outer maps and items and special moves and finding things and accessing it. And it's designed in such a, like, there's little subtle, they're like, they do things that just seem so frustrating. Like, okay, first off, the pacing thing where you're committed to a move, you know, much like Dark Souls, once you're in the move, you're semi-committed. There are ways to combo out, but you have to learn all those. It's very nuanced and subtle. But then you'll have stuff like, you know, if my sword's out, my longsword, I can't use items because my hands aren't free. I've got to sheath, get to the item, use the item, redraw, mm. which in the middle of a fight is terrifying. And you have to time everything. Think about you're thinking 20 seconds ahead all the time. That bottom panel helps a lot with arranging those complex sequences and moves you need to do. Yet the attacks, the base attacks are only two buttons, but hitting those two buttons in various combinations, depending on the weapon you're using and the style you're in gives you ridiculously wide movesets that are all tailored for specific situations. You can play Monster Hunter for a hundred hours with one of the many weapon sets. Switch off and you're starting at square one on learning how to use those things again. And I love that about it. Wow, I talked a long it's time. It's the everlasting gobstopper. Yeah. I don't know. I calling I mean what does this ever held any appeal for you? No. I I uh I played one Monster Hunter game a long time ago. It's just not for me. What's funny is that I, there's certain games that are informed in some way by Monster Hunter that I actually enjoyed quite a bit. But Monster Hunter to me was always so unnecessarily deep that for I don't mind deep games. I love Civilization, for instance. The game is fucking yeah. incredibly deep, but it's because I can just sit there and like think about it. You know, like I'm not it's not it's not active. Um, it's very Civilization is, I think, one of the deepest games there is, but it's it's a passive game yeah so i can like literally be like i don't know what i want to do like i have to think about this for fucking a half an hour now you know like look around <laughs> the map and like 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 all this kind of stuff and, and monster hunter didn't give me that that the the game the, the two monster hunter type games and i say type in, in quotes because one of them really isn't very much like monster hunter one of them is very much like monster hunter is soul sacrifice really like that game and that game was informed the combat is somewhat informed by that but it's yeah. a much more lonely game freedom wars yes. is the is the big uh, monster hunter game on vita that i mm-hmm. thought was excellent and that was because there was a meta story to it that Monster Hunter doesn't yeah. have. And um, I love the idea of like whittling down your years and all that kind of stuff. And 
you know, Freedom Wars was just a very good game and probably the last great Vita AAA game. Um, but again, it wasn't nearly as deep as Monster Hunter. Not, uh, it was deep. Freedom Wars is deep, but it's not as deep and it's not as hard as I Monster just, Hunter. I don't want people to get scared off of Generations because they've done a better job easing you into it. Um, again, I'm not a Monster Hunter expert by a long shot. I'm just a guy who likes playing it. But I sat down with with Altano at IGN, and who's never played one. And in the course that we did this little video series about teaching him to play, and he picked it up quick they've made it so much easier to learn the basics than than it used to be and by the end of it he was holding his own against things he had no no business being that good at after that short a time because they're much much better at some of the tutorializing and if you're actually willing to go and i realize tutorials are irritating but they found a good balance between obnoxiousness in the tutorials and getting you in and doing something cool and fun right away i i this is the best time to jump in there's ever been. I don't think Monster Hunter is ever going to be huge here. I, I think that's a that's more of a Japanese phenomenon. That's that's just rude. kind of like the way uh, you know I don't know the, the way soccer has hasn't been big here for a long time. Um, but that doesn't mean there's not a lot of value to be found there if it's something you enjoy. It's an extremely important game, and that's what I, that's what I always said back when Vita came out for the first eighteen months or so. There were a lot of rumors that Capcom was going to put Monster Hunter on Vita, and I'm like, this is a very important moment for this handheld. Um, it never happened, and I think that's. Yeah. I honestly think that's half of the reason why Vita never took off more in Japan. Oh, yeah. Japan is still sustaining Vita uh, almost single-handedly, but um, the fact that Monster Hunter never made an appearance on the handheld was a major injurious thing to it, especially because it was on 3DS. So, um, 3DS getting Monster Hunter was a coup. Yeah, it was Japan. a huge it's, thing. It was a huge deal, and I think that Sony didn't never really recovered from that. I think that there was assumptions no, that they were going to get the, it. So. The, the PSP was not particularly successful in Japan the first half of its life until Monster Hunter came out. And that changed everything. People, it was the, you know, there are not many legitimate killer apps in all the history of video games. In Japan, Monster Hunter was the killer app for that handheld generation, period. It was the reason people bought the handheld. There were people that was all they played all the time, and they just yep. waited for the next one to come. So is so Generations is the, the latest game. Yeah, correct. Generations. Okay, movie. cool. And so you're saying that that is... Is it the best jumping in point or is there another one? No, that jump into generations. That that's yeah, so yes, I, I think generations is where you start. You you get your three DS. Um if you don't have a Frankenstick, buy one. If you have a new three DS, you don't need one. Um but uh you can play it without one, but I don't recommend it. Um then you're back to the claw. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise you're well they use the bottom touch screen for it, but it's, oh, it's just no, not that's even worse than yeah. the claw, don't do yeah. yeah, that's that's you no could good. adjust the claw, but don't do that. <laughs> Any final words on Monster Hunter? Uh yeah, play and have fun. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, this topic brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Greg? Build it beautiful. No, you want to hear a couple of uh, product features? Build it beautiful. Easy. <laughs> Creating your website with Squarespace is a simple, intuitive process. You can add and arrange your content and features with the click of a mouse. It's also Really cool that you get a free custom domain. Squarespace makes adding a domain to your site simple. If you sign up for a year, you'll receive a custom domain for free for a year. You got some beautiful templates. You can design a best-in-class online store with Squarespace award-winning templates, customizable settings, and more, all without a single plugin. They got 24-7 customer service support, so you can go online, talk to a real person. They always got people that are really there talking to you. No yeah. phone calls, though. No it's phone all online. calls. This is 2016. Nobody needs phones anymore. Nobody needs it's phones. It's over landlines. Get phones out of here. don't exist. Yeah. That's what I heard. Um, build beautiful sites and all that stuff. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code kind of funny to get 10% off your first purchase. That's squarespace.com. 
Use the promo code K-I-N-D-A-F-U-N-N-Y. F-U. To get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, set your website apart. Beautiful. Build it. Build it beautiful. As always, the final topic of the day is brought to you by you. You can go to kindoffun.com slash gamescast topic. Leave us some questions. Just like Antonio Lara did. Antonio Lara. He says, why can a game be huge in Japan but nowhere else? Oh, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. I think because... uh, Things were a lot differently. It's the same reason the game could be huge in America and be huge nowhere else because things were a lot differently and cultural presuppositions are sometimes tailored toward certain things. I mean, the fact is, is that in Japan, the history of the way RPGs rolled out on console kind of created a myth that RPGs were more popular in Japan than the United States. No, we were just all playing ours on computer for a very long time. And RPGs were literally invented in the United States on pen and paper, became successful on computers, were the earliest examples of video games, created the home gaming market. Then in Japan, people started playing on computers, but consoles blew up at a time that our console industry was in a slump. So it became popular in console there, and it took a while for us to catch up. That was simply a historical cultural nuance based on the fact that there was a video game market crash in 1983 and 84 here in the console space, but not the PC. Did I explain that at all, or was that really confusing? I love you. Nailed it. Okay, I'm a little worried about that. I was afraid that I was ranting. So what I'm saying there is sometimes factors of history within a country. Countries exist for, you know, they... Things happen in one country that don't happen in another economically and historically. That changes things tremendously. In 84, when the American console history, industry was collapsing, Japan's prospered. Therefore, RPGs prospered on console at a time that they would have otherwise here, but never got the chance to. Took years for us to catch up. Because of that, we missed out on the beginnings of popular franchises like, let's say, Dragon Quest. We almost missed out on Final Fantasy. Uh, so there's one. Uh, I, think I mean, that- cultural differences, too, right? Especially talking about Japan, especially talking about Monster Hunter, which is like didn't last topic, right? I noticed something, you know, obviously I love Vita now and I loved PSP back in the day. And that was like my beat at, at IGN PlayStation. And I remember when somebody pointed out to me that all my reviews mentioned being on the train because I took the train yep. into work. And like, that's not mm. what most of America does. And that's why handhelds have such a hard time getting going here. Meanwhile, in Japan... They've been they were always ahead of us on handhelds and then they were way tip of the sword on phone games because everybody like you're all packed in together in Tokyo. You're so on top of each other. You're all taking trains. There are 30 million people in the Tokyo metropolitan area. A quarter of the population of Japan lives in one city and the surrounding suburbs. Imagine that it'd be in the United States to take our population. A quarter of our population would be about 75 million. So it'd be like having a city of 75 million people, all of whom were commuting to work on public transit. We yeah. do not have that. Therefore, these things didn't work. Yeah, that's right. a great point, Greg. That's yeah, crazy. Like when you, t- you know, you're talking about Monster Hunter and people in McDonald's and all that stuff. I remember how mind boggling it was. Like the first time I said to Mike P when I was doing a uh, Metal Gear Solid uh, Peace Walker, and I was like, do you want to you want to you, wanna, you wanna, like you want to have like a date and go out and play this? And he's like, yeah. And then Caleb came and we went to a bar and we were sitting at a bar drinking beers, playing PSP. And I'm like. This is awesome, mm-hmm. and no one else in that fucking bar in this fucking city was doing that because that's not who we are, and that's not how we, you know, communicate through games. And then you go to Europe. You think about what happened in the European game industry. They started on microcomputers, and a lot of those were domestically designed microcomputers. There was a period of history for about ten years when people were figuring out what home computers were going to be. Most of them were built on 
two common architectures. There's a few others. They were usable on the 6502 or the Z80, two different chips, because those were cheap and easy to program for in assembly language. And people tried all kinds of variants around those chips. In Britain, they invented several really brilliant economical designs at a time that Great Britain was in a major economic slump. And so these cheap home computers became kind of a way for video games to infiltrate the home, usually on cassette tape. They cloned to cassette tape longer than we did uh, over there. And their games were, they cost much less than they did here in that format. A, a, a cassette tape there might cost half what a video game cost here at the time. So it created a market for this kind of, okay, well, what are our considerations? It has to run on these processors, has to use this very limited graphical palette, has to fit on a cassette, and needs to be able to load in something less than 10 minutes. So how do we make that, you know, and because those cassette loaders were, oh, they were terribly slow. That created a certain kind of game and the games that they first fostered in in that technical innovation then those were iterated on to create new you know you think about what the things that rare did they made their name making games on 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 toasters you know i mean the british microcomputers were no not inferior to ours but they weren't particularly powerful and these guys were, were finding ways to just squeeze the last drop of performance out and create these cool isometric exploratory games like night lore, for example, that, you know, things that never came over here really never became popular, but are genres there that dominated for half a decade or, or longer just because they were homegrown, readily available and worked on what was out there. And I think that's where a lot of these, these changes come from. That was an excellent answer. Uh, Papa P says, what's the importance of Miss Pac-Man? Miss Pac-Man is arguably the best arcade game there is. Uh, I'd, I'd vote for Robotron 2084, but uh, Miss Pac-Man's right up there along with Galaga. It's um, it's one of the few arcade sequels that's just decidedly better than its predecessor. That's very unusual because arcade games are all about a cool hook, uh, or at least most arcade games are. But uh, Miss Pac-Man is, takes the cool hook and improves on it in every way. It is it, the randomizer makes the game unpredictable. It makes it so that you can't just pattern Miss Pac-Man out. Uh, the fact that the mazes change up makes make you responsible for four times the information management that you were in the original Pac-Man. The variable fruit randomization, particularly when you get to higher levels, adds this wonderful spice because you just have to go after fruit. Uh, it, it, the, the ghost behaviors are, are very smartly covered. It's good. It's good industrial design. I mean, the cabinet looks great. The, the beautiful, the pink and, and blue aesthetic there together. The fact that that project began life as, as a kind of hack, it was a, sort of an add on daughter card board for, uh, for Pac-Man that wasn't exactly officially licensed to start. And then later was, it's a very cool story. I got a chance to talk to one of the guys that did this once and, oh, fascinating, just a wonderful, cool process. Long story. Anyway, all those factors feature in, but at the same time, it's instantly understandable what you're trying to do. It doesn't screw up what worked in Pac-Man. It just improves on it. Also, it can easily, with a simple one-bit mod switch, be made much faster than even Miss Pac-Man. And I believe that Turbo Miss Pac-Man is, is the definitive way to play. And man, when you get up to those higher levels, there is nothing more riveting or terrifying in all of the video game world than when you get to the part of Miss Pac-Man where the stages just keep going, the power pellets never work again, and you're just trying to stay alive long enough for that random banana to show up so you can improve your score. I'm not a particularly good Miss Pac-Man player. 2019, 640 is my, my top score, and that's like not all that great. But even at that low level, like the later levels are just devastating and wonderful. So I, I was picking the questions for this show and full transparency. I was like, I know Jared's going to be 
fucking great. He's going to kill this shit. I was like, I don't know what his his role with like <laughs> what he thinks about Miss Pac-Man. I'm just going to throw well, it out and see. It's funny but you say goddamn. It's funny you say that too because I think on the exclusive that we did, which Patreon exclusive subscribers for kind of funny games can listen. We talked about Miss Pac-Man and Galaga and why, did, and why yeah. those games are so important as well. So you guys can go listen to that if you are a Patreon subscriber. I need to listen to that because my God, you are the most fascinating. I've been playing this Pac-Man a lot lately. It's so funny. Like we we were talking about that. I've been playing this Pac-Man a lot lately because that game is so fucking good. It's right. so sublime. It is so perfect. That game is fucking perfect. Are it you really playing is. regular or sped? Oh uh, no, I'm playing regular. Reg- well, I'm playing the, yeah, I'm, I'm playing. I'm playing the 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 Namco port on PS4, which okay. costs like three dollars. Yeah. Um, and you can like mess with it in all sorts of ways, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I play it pure, and and that Pure's game is great. that yeah. game is just <laughs> that game is really really good. It's just a really <laughs> started with an MIT student business. Uh, Miss Pac-Man was just a bunch of people trying to find a way to make uh, uh, Pac-Man a little better. Uh, and it was a bunch of MIT students that decided to quit school and go into business. Together. And it's funny how much better Miss Pac-Man is than Pac-Man. Like when, when you when you when you think about Pac-Man, you are talking about Miss Pac-Man. You are not talking about Pac-Man like you are not talking about it. You know, like everyone, everyone knows you're talking about Miss Pac-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you don't know what you're talking about. It. Yep. Pac-Man <laughs> CE forever. Woo. Oh, yeah. And CE2 comes out in September. Yeah. Which is That's gonna be awesome. crazy. I love that game. That was a fun announcement. Pepsi is so good. It oh, is so good. Um, Steven Oslin says, "What game is Jared looking forward to for the rest of the year?" Oh wow, uh, that's great. Uh, no Man's Sky. Uh, that's, Ooh, yeah. that's so imminent. Yeah, No Man's Sky. Yeah, that's, man, that's, that's like two weeks. I know. Yeah, that's, that's got me. That's got me. That's got me worked up. I'm real excited to see how No Man's Sky turns out. Uh, I think that's going to. I I, I can't predict if that's going to fly into the stratosphere or crash and burn i don't know if we're about to get minecraft or spore but um <laughs> i'm hoping for minecraft for me it's have you played it yet uh, no i haven't played it yet see uh, the thing kevin is, and i was talking about it we've played it yeah and so our expectations are set based on that and we're in okay but I, it's going to be interesting to see the internet whose expectations are up here that we're gonna have a galactic sony, council sony did that to the game yeah, i know yeah. i know but you're in you're in oh i'm in yeah yeah, yeah okay that's it's it's a game about- you in big dog kev you in What's up, Ross? Yeah. How about you just yell? Kevin? Kevin's saying he's <laughs> yeah. in. Kevin's in. Are you in, Colin? Uh, not. I, I want to see. Like, I think that. I think it, right? that. No, I think Sony has has mucked this game up significantly in terms of expectations, and I think that the expectations are not going to be met with this game. I don't think it's possible. Yeah. I agree, hundred percent. So I that. so I think that it's going to injure the game in a major way. But what? But I, I, I still. But I, but I still think that it's going to do fine. I just don't think it's going to set the world on fire mm, at all. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not in at all, and I think that the we, the hype thing is definitely there, but in total opposite way, like with Last Guardian, there's the hype there, but I'm still, I'm in that, and I think yeah. that, that is going to be good. This, I keep forgetting the game exists. This doesn't like grab my attention, really. I think that it's very pretty and very cool, but like I'm like, all right, I'd rather just listen to a synth soundtrack and just watch this happen than play it so far. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested to see. Maybe I change my mind once I get my hands on it, but I'm not excited for it at all. But I'm happy uh, that it's so close. I'm yeah, finally going to know. Yeah, I want to I wander the stars. I, I don't need a goal. I really, I, I just want to wonder. I just want to travel through the space. I could do that for, it's it's a dream come true. Then I think you're going to be very happy because I imagine that is what yeah. this is going to be. I hope so. I hope it's awesome. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's game of the year. I just, I don't know. Robert White says, Jared, what are some of your favorite obscure games? Oh my gosh. I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's obscure, but it's an obscure port. Uh, my all-time favorite video game is the NES port of Sid Meier's Pirates, done by, uh, programmed by Rare, released by Ultra, which was Konami in the United States. Um, and, uh, while pirates, uh, is a superb computer game, that port particular port of pirates is so smooth. It strips out a couple of features that I didn't care about anyway, 
but the sword fighting and ship combat is way less choppy than it is on most computer platforms. And yet it doesn't have like the over adornment that later things like pirates gold or, or the remake had And I don't have to worry about the DDR dancing or any of that. Uh, the map is perfectly synced to it. I, I probably played that game for a thousand hours. Um, yeah, I think that port is uh, is a wonderful thing. And I, I think a lot of people never even realized it was on NES. It was a breakout hit on PC, but it, it, console ports were not that big a deal for pirates. Um, so that's one that comes to mind. Geez, obscure. I don't know. Um, I guess Angband's probably obscure, and I really enjoy Angband, um, which is a... a uh, there are two kinds of roguelikes. Um, there's the kind of puzzly-based roguelikes, like NetHack, where you're just trying to... You're, you're trying to survive, and you're trying to solve very specific, procedurally generated, but still still always going to pop up in some way mysteries. And then there's combat roguelikes uh, where you're just trying to get to the bottom and kill the big monster that lives in the basement. Uh, Angband is the king of those. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, as much as I enjoy experiences like Torchlight 2 or or, or Diablo 2, uh, Angband is, is probably my favorite of that kind of go to the bottom and kill the big bad. Uh, that's one that comes to mind. I don't know. Um, I, wow. I don't, I don't really classify games in my head as obscure and so it's it's harder to draw from from the from the bin there. i mean i think you gave some great answers okay. <laughs> madden 08 <laughs> julio says jared do you have any favorite video game soundtracks yeah um whole soundtracks or just tracks um let's do let's take do it tracks. as you will uh the first video game track i ever remember just being stunned by i think is probably opening corridor in the guardian legend uh when the wood flutes come in um, I, that's a compile game and therefore, um, superb, uh, because compile makes great games. Um, even Golvelius is good, which is weird. Uh, but, uh, guardian legends opening corridor music now probably doesn't sound all that impressive, but I was like, I didn't know those kinds of sounds could come out of an NES. And as a child, I, I remember like crashing my plane, my, my jet, cause I w- just wanted to hear the music and I couldn't pay attention to the game. That one really knocked me on my butt. Um, to this day, Matoya's Gate, um, Matoya's Cave gets me, uh, which is from Final Fantasy One, um, in just about any rendition. Uh, let's see, there's a few others. Um, oh, uh, uh, Home, Home Sweet Home from Earthbound uh, is is that bum bum dun 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 dun. So just lovely like that. Oh goodness, um, there there's. There's too much good game music. Uh, I think Last Ninja 2 for C64 um, sounds like it's a, th- you know, the Sid chip had three voices and this sounds like like a 16 piece orchestra. Uh, it's one of the most clever pieces of like mod team sound program I ever heard. Also in the C64, the Bionic Commando soundtrack, the Bionic Commando port for C64, which is based on the arcade game, not the NES game is absolute crap, but the music is ungodly good like just just down to the point that they're doing all this weird you know euro synth stuff and they they like noodle around at the top and like suddenly like like the uh piece of the star wars music comes in for one bar and you hear it in the middle of the bionic commando music and then they cut back in but it fits perfectly and it's just like down 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 and then it cuts into bionic commando and you're like what this is so good there's a lot of that man that is awesome uh final question is is from Juan Cazares. He says, ask Jared if, if he ever sees any game company making a deeply religious game. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, the, people have done things. They're never, they've never been 
commercially successful uh, to my mind. You know, you had the Wisdom Tree stuff and all that, of course. Yeah, just, is, yeah. Bible Adventures and stuff. Yeah, Bible Adventures. <laughs> Dude, Binding of Isaac. Bi- yeah, Binding of Isaac is thematically. That's that's a, that's a really, really good point there, Colin. There, there's Binding of Isaac that's... couldn't even come to Nintendo platforms because it was too religious. Yeah, right? yeah. Binding of Isaac comes to mind. Um, there's a game called, I think it's called, it's 10 Second Jesus or 10 Second Gospel, something like that was a, as a, uh, I, I think a games jam game uh, of some kind made in like a couple of days, but it's like doing everything in the life of Christ in 10 seconds. It's, the <laughs> controls are like run right and do Jesus things. Um, and it's, it's so cute and clever that it gets a little, a couple little points across in, in, in interesting ways. Religion is one of those things. It's one of the great divides in video gaming. I think some of that has to do in the United States with the fact that religion is, you know, it's that Nintendo legacy and people have been afraid to touch it ever since. And uh, people are afraid of alienating their audience or they're trying to pander to it. I mean, a lot of video games that have gone down that road kind of do it like Cecil Bill DeMille did with the 10 commandments, uh, that, that movie, which people forget is one of the greatest exploitation films ever made. That was a movie about getting Christians in the theaters to watch sex and violence. I mean, that, that, that movie is all about like, nah, I am Vincent Price and I am swarmy and you will be my maidservant nah, coming to my home. Joshua, you know, and it's, it's all murder and, and filth and, and, uh, disguised as a Bible movie, so people would go see it, and they put Charlton Heston on it, and suddenly it was like, "Hello, I'm Moses, and God is good." Nah, games treat religion at best like that most of the time. I, I'm I'm racking my brain right now looking for something better. I'm waiting for us to get something like you guys ever played a Mind Forever Voyaging? No, it's an old Infocom game from the text adventure days. It's it's astounding. Um, lays aside most years before game uh, adventure games were laying aside puzzles it lays aside almost all the traditional puzzle mechanics you play as an ai in a in a um south dakota laboratory you're a computer on a rack against a wall there's a lab technician in the lab with you you've been built to create simulations within yourself that you then travel into of what the future of america might be like if we make certain decisions politically and so you're traveling through time within yourself and then coming back every now and then and talking to the professor about what the simulation taught you about what might happen if you do this. And you keep going farther and farther into this future. And as you come out, you realize outside the room that you're trapped in, things are happening in the real world based on the data you're feeding them mm. that are influencing the course of American history. And eventually you're having this kind of existential dilemma where which world the world inside yourself or the world outside, which one is the real one or which one matters more? How is one affecting the other? It's brilliant. Um, Something that does that with spiritualism. uh, And I think is, is, um, is well overdue. I, I'd like to make a game. I've talked to my wife about this. I I don't, I don't have, you know, the venture capital or, uh, but I'd love to make a game about uh, a kid from a youth group getting on a bus to go to a uh, to go to an anti-gay protest. Um, some fifteen-year-old, because everybody else in his youth group is doing it, getting up early in the morning, getting in the fifteen-passenger van to stand and hold a little sign uh, across the street from, and about the things he learns that day, um, and why he's there, and what he thinks, and what he believes, and what he feels in the course of that process. Yeah, sounds awesome. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think anyone would buy that though. And that becomes the problem. Um, I don't want to make it to sell. I want to make it so people can play it, but a company has in most of the time has to try to make money. I think that's mm-hmm. why they're afraid to touch this. Do I think it will happen? 
Yes, because the one beautiful thing about our frustrating, annoying, greedy, goofy cartoon industry is that it's also made up of artists who want to create beautiful things. And every now and then they break through and do. So, yeah, I think it's going to happen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you want that to happen, you can go to patreon.com slash Jared Petty. Try to help some <laughs> dreams come true. Baby steps. Yeah, baby, baby steps. steps. Yeah, I, I can use your help, guys. Uh, please, this is uh, this is the launch. And if you're you're willing to help out with Pockets Full of Soup, which is uh, well, trying to kind of accomplish something positive in a different way. Yeah, we could really use your assistance. So please, uh, patreon.com slash Jared Petty. Thank you so much. I'm very excited for it. I think it's going to be fantastic. I think you are an amazing human being that is very knowledgeable. And somehow you're even nicer than you are smart. So <laughs> thank you for all for, for joining us. This I, it's has a, been it's a treasure. one of my Pleasure. favorite Gamescast episodes we've ever done. So oh. thank you for that. Obviously, mm. thank you, guys. Kevin, thank you for being Kevin. And thank you for being thank you. Thank you, Kevin. I love you. We'll see you next week.